it's always soccer in Philadelphia, and it's always nice to talk about a win. Our first win of the season, 3 to nothing, Philadelphia Union over the Columbus Crew. The Philadelphia Union couldn't even field 18 guys, but they put three balls in the back of the net, and we'll take it. Joining the program for the very first time, making his podcast debut from the Brotherly Game, it's Matt Ralph. Matt, what's going on, man? Not too much. Thanks for having me on, Kevin. Absolutely. Glad you could hop on. Uh, nice to talk about a win. Um, and I guess we got to start with uh, the MLS. Uh, the Alcatel Player of the Week uh, is David Akam, who scored two goals uh, in the win. He has already doubled his uh, total from last year. Uh, he did it one week after losing his father uh, in Ghana. So, I mean, imagine all of that. Uh, what it must have felt like for him. Uh, where do you want to start with Akam? What what stood out to you? What impressed you from his performance? Well, obviously, you know, he, when he came here, the goals, right? Like, that's what we were expecting as fans of the team, that he was going to be a guy who's going to come in and score goals. He was someone who, obviously, playing against him could be very, uh, very difficult to, to deal with, uh, you know, in terms of his speed and his just, his, just his overall game. And I think one of the things I think that, Obviously, the finish and the two goals, but, uh, you know, obviously his work rate, he was just really involved. And I think one of the things that was disappointing about him last year is that he'd be in a game and you wouldn't, not, you know, it's not just that he wasn't scoring goals. It was like, where was he? Like, where, yeah. Where, where, you know? yeah. 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 Um, you know, it's never a good thing when a guy like a calm is like, oh, was he in that game? You know, because um, he's the type of player that, he doesn't shouldn't necessarily have to score goals to be recognized in the game, and I think obviously goals help that and it helps the confidence. And you know, as you mentioned, the whole backstory was pretty pretty incredible yeah. to think about what he was dealing with from an emotional standpoint. Uh, but he's that I feel like he's that kind of player too. You know, the one goal he did score in league play last year was was a huge goal against Chicago against his former team and yeah. you know playing there and, and you know it's very late in the game to to get that goal so it's almost like that's who he is too at the same time is that type of player who has that ability to to just really step up when you know the kind of the the most difficult time even for him personally yeah he's always scored a like bunches of goals I mean he he's, he still has something like 30 something goals in like 100 MLS appearances it's kind of crazy when you think about it um, I think he's at 36 now or something like that. yeah I think we just totally lost track of how good he used to be based on the the down year that he had last year but I think like you brought up the one goal that he scored last year and in that goal like it stood out to me because he just looked so much more decisive than he was playing the whole rest of the year. And and that's kind of what it reminded me of on those two goals the other night. Like, he just looked decisive, like he knew what he wanted to do and where he wanted to go with the ball. Uh, the first touch was excellent on the first goal. I mean, to take that on your strong foot, which is the inside foot, and then score with your weak foot, uh, the first touch really made that goal. But does it, doesn't it just seem like he was, like, more, like, just he just knew what he wanted to do and where he wanted to be? Yeah, and it was, you know, when you saw him take that ball, and you said the first touch, it was like, that's that's the combo we were looking for, the guy who's going to get the ball and put it in the back of that, whatever it is, whatever, you know, angle he's got to take or whatever to do it, he's going to do that. And then the second goal was not as pretty. I still don't understand what the defender was doing. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, and, and he, I think he had his arm extended, but you couldn't really see from the angle. But he just was not going to be stopped. And, you know, that that that's the combo, I think, that, was so frustrating for you know I remember Keegan Rosemary talking about how I was going to miss having to mark him, uh, but you know where it's you know he's he's going to get he's going to get what he's going to get he's gonna, he's not going to let anyone kind of stop him from getting what he's trying to do and I think that his confidence obviously has to play a part in that that and feeling a hundred percent if he wasn't feeling you know if he wasn't feeling a hundred percent he wasn't able to do the same kind of things that he's he's used to doing. You know, maybe that, that 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 was part of the problem he was having last year. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. A couple notes that I just wrote down. I'm glad you mentioned like that that push off or whatever the hell uh, Gaston Sauro was doing there because like I looked at it first and I'm like, okay, maybe he did get him with the right arm and a push off a little bit, but you you know you're never gonna get that call 
when the guy is like five inches and 40 pounds less than you, you know what I mean? Right, yeah. Like he just, so he just, it just looked like such a weak challenge defensively and, and for him to fall, fall down and lose his feet. I thought that was something. Um, when it was an awkward fall too, it was almost like, uh, it, <laughs> you know, it wasn't like a charge, in, you know, trying to draw a charge in basketball. It was a little more, uh, <laughs> it was a little more awkward than that, the way he went down. Yeah, it was. And, um, you know, the other thing I was trying to look at was, you know, him with the sports hernia last year. And I guess there was a quote from David after the game where he said he felt like he can sprint without pain and he felt like the movement in his hips was there a little bit better. And I try to watch, try to watch a lot of that because, um, it's like, like I mentioned on the podcast before, like I had the same thing and I felt like that's, I really sucked at like moving side to side. Like that's where I noticed it. So I'm trying to watch him uh, the other day and like on the first goal the run was pretty linear it was pretty straightforward like there wasn't a lot of shifting there but um on the second goal like if you have a if you're coming off a sports hernia and you're trying to like jostle with the bigger defender and then he falls down you're trying to turn in a small area I mean I could see how that would be <clears throat> how that would be hard to navigate so I mean did did you think from watching him the other night that he just looked overall healthier than he was last year yeah I think so and I mean part of it too though is we didn't a ton of them last year right I mean in terms of you know he didn't see you know because it you know the way things kind of started and it weren't going well for him and then you know it was like we hadn't seen him much at all and then and then there was the announcement that he was having surgery so I mean absolutely he looked I mean he, he looked great coming into that Chicago game when he did score the goal he looked you know he looked okay in the open cup game where he got the the penalty but yeah I mean I definitely think overall he looks you know, in terms of playing a full game that where he, you know, and he had, you know, he he had that chance where he could have been set up for the hat trick and yeah. uh, the the ball didn't come to him. So I mean, he very easily could have had a hat trick in that game. And um, you know, yeah, yeah, for it's sure. Not fault. It's not his fault he didn't get the pass that should have been played there. <laughs> but overall, I think he just put in a really solid game as a you know, where I don't know how many times last season we would have said. He had a he had a really complete game, either because he was subbing in off the bench and not being able, not really able to change much in the the way of the outcome of the game, or he was starting and just not really, like I said, not not being that that impact player that we expected him to be. So um, let me combine the next two questions into one. Actually, I was going to ask you. I was going to say, okay, well, what do you do with the striker position now with Corey Burke coming back and eventually? Sergio Santos at some point I mean like if assume they go back to 442 are you starting a com next week and the second part of the question is you know were you surprised that they came out and played 4231 this past weekend I mean I, I was a little surprised but when you when you figure what the personnel was you know in the situation they were looking at in terms of like you said having such a depleted roster you know and going against a Columbus team that also was missing some key 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 people, uh, you know, I can imagine that the the conversation was, you know, how can we find some sort of advantage in this game or some way to dealing with the personnel that we have against the personnel they have, and yeah. I think that that's where it, you know ended up there. So, I mean, <laughs> you know, getting a win, getting a, it was one of those things where they needed to win, whatever it was, right? I mean. I think from a from a fan perspective, if 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 they whatever formation they had thrown out there, if they got a win, it would have been it would have been you know it would have been great you know because yeah. you know they were in a situation where they especially at home you know you have you have to get three points. Well, I just found it funny that it was like you know all season all off season long the whole big topic was like oh we're gonna play two strikers we're gonna play two strikers we're making the formation change for the first time in forever right and they can't score yeah. they can't score from the run of play with two strikers so they go out the other night they put six, they feel a team of 16 guys they go back to four two three one and they score three goals and I'm sitting here thinking like okay I know Columbus is depleted I know the union are depleted I know it's a product of circumstance but like when I went back over it the starting 11 like you could have put that start starting 11 into the diamond that they were playing. You know, you could have had yeah. court, you could have had Cornell, you could have had the same back line. You could have Madunian in playing the base of the diamond. You could have had Bedoya and El Senio on either side, like they had tried before in the preseason. You could have had Aronson playing at the tip, and then you could have played Akam and, and Pico as both strikers, you know? So I think that was well, kind I of think, like that funny part yeah, to I me. Think you know? if, yeah, I think that's probably when the lineup came up, that's what we were expecting to see, right? I mean, it was, okay, you have – Come up up top with 
Fafa, and that's what it's going to be. And then they then they started playing. It's like, whoa, that's not that's not what they're that's not <laughs> yeah. what they're doing out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was interesting to me. Um, what do you what do you think of uh, Brendan Aronson so far? You you do a lot on the youth side of the game, so I think you're probably more in tune with this game than I am at this point. Yeah, I mean, I've been watching him since he was four, 15, I think, was for some of his own play. And, you know, he, I've, I, I have to say I've been – I'm not surprised, you know, at the performance he had. I, I maybe wouldn't have expected that to happen in Atlanta. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, but I've also been surprised by Atlanta this season as well, as a lot of, a lot of people have um, with their kind of underwhelming start to the campaign. But, you know, I think he's – He's someone who, you know, having watched him play as long as I have, I mean, he, you know, he has many, he has so many tools. And I think one of the things you saw in the Atlanta game, and to a lesser extent on Saturday night, is just his work rate and the way he pressures the ball and how he can not only pressure the ball, but then when it turns over, his his first movement and his first first thing he does, his first touch with the ball after after the turnover happens is where like it's kind of like the the, the magic of him yeah yeah <laughs> is is like he gets the ball and he knows what to do with it and he and he just is is so good at that transition play and I think that's why he he fits the system so well because he is that type of player that's going to run you know run and run and run and run and then when he gets the ball he knows exactly what to do with it and he he has the vision and the skill with the ball to do the things that are asked of a number 10 to do. Uh, I mean, he's still 18, right? I mean, it's, it's interesting to kind of hear people, you know, people being excited that Faviad uh, was going to serve another suspension because it meant that Brendan could play. And, uh, you know, I don't, again, I've seen him, I, I like the kid. I think he's great. Yeah. But I was surprised by that take. It's like, well, you know, it, 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 he's still developing. He's still growing. He's still figuring out. I yeah. mean, he's been a first-team player for, you know, he's been training with his first team since, what, August, maybe July, um, maybe a little bit before that. So, uh, you know, he, he definitely has the tools. He's an exciting player, and I think he single-handedly brought Pope back to the fan base with that goal in Atlanta. <laughs> um, but I think, you know, there's still, it's it, you know, they talk a lot about development and how, you know, it's not like okay, he made his debut, and now it's just going to be all, you know, all upward, uh, all upward tra- trajectory from here. And so, you know, there's still a lot that has to happen for him, and that he needs to be doing as a player to to continue to improve and to be that person who's going to be a starter day in and day out. So, um, let me ask you about Harris Medunian because there's been a lot of talk about him in the first couple weeks. Uh, he was fine in the Columbus game, I thought. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the week, the two, you know, the goals in the home opener against Toronto, we're talking about his lack of uh, awareness in, in, in defense. I guess I would just say he's a defensive midfielder that really doesn't play any defense. Um, right. And then the Atlanta goal, you know, I was arguing with people online about whether it was his fault or whether Bedoya should have kept track and Barco across the box or whatever. I mean, so – I mean, in a general sense, what are you seeing from Harris defensively, and do you, do you feel like they can keep rolling with him back there, or do you think he's a liability? You know, I, I, I think I think with Harris, if he's doing the kinds of stuff he did on Saturday night, you you, you can be a little more forgiving of some of those defensive laps. Um, not not you know not that you can just excuse him away, but you know, I think we've always kind of known that that's the type of player he is, that he, yeah. he's not going to be, a, you know, that enforcer ball winner in the, in the, in the back. But if he can, if he can, you know, be connecting those passes, I mean, like the way he's, you know, that goal, the way he set that goal up, if he's, yeah. he's doing that kind of stuff, I think it's like the defensive lapses on top of the passes to nowhere. And, you know, the things that like, that are frankly are uncharacteristic of him. Yeah, they are. Um, they are not as uncharacteristic as whatever happened to him in Atlanta last year because that was just crazy. Um, <laughs> you know, first red card of his life, you know, of his career in, in that manner. But I think I think, and then with Montero, I think that's going to be kind of. I think Montero has an opportunity maybe to maybe clear some of that up a little bit too because if if his presence in the midfield sort of helps relieve some of that. Um, so are we just assume, are we assuming that this Harris, I think, then, are, then it could be a different situation. 
are we, so are we assuming that do, do we know where Montero is going to play? Cause like I watched him on film and he looked like a box to box eight kind of guy. Like I'm sure he could play a six, but do you guys have any inkling on, uh, or has Jim said anything about where he wants to play him? I, I mean, it, I don't have a definitive read on that. You know, I think he, I think what he said was that he kind of can play anywhere in the midfield. Yeah. Uh, but I don't know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, you hear that about a lot of guys. Oh, we can play. You know, well, what is that? Um, that's what you want everyone to think, so they don't know where, he's, where you're going to put them in the line. Of well, like in philosophic, philosophically, I don't know how you are, but I would rather have one guy who's really, really good at one position instead of one guy yeah. who's like okay at two positions. Because like you look at like like take like Ray Gaddis for instance. You know, it's nice that he can play on both sides, but I would rather it. But you know, like guys like Philip Lom or don't grow on trees. You know, dudes who can play multiple mm-hmm. positions at like at a world-class level, you know what I mean? Yeah, and so, I mean, I think in that sense, like, I don't, like, I haven't, you know, what I've seen of him, him in training is, I mean, he looks like uh, like he's been described. I mean, so I guess the question, though, for me is, is how, you know, so you keep the Dunian in as a six, but then does Montero just give you a, a different look in the midfield that that you can, you know, that it works better. I don't know, like the combination of those people. Yeah. Um, because it seems like you've had. I mean, is Elsino and eight? I don't. I don't. I just. I don't. I don't. I'm not. I don't know how to feel about. You know, when you line up with a guy like Elsino in that position in front of, you know, with with Bedunian and behind him, and obviously we know who Ali is, right? I mean, he's. Yeah. He's. <laughs> but I just think that that fourth midfield position is still, I think, a big question mark in terms of. You know, do you put Aronson there, even though that's not really his position? I mean, there's, I think there's a lot of questions about how, particularly in this system, right, where they're all, they all sort of have to play off each other a little bit in the midfield, and there's, their roles kind of change depending on the, the situation that they're they're faced with. Yeah. Um, all right, two more for you, Matt. Uh, I went on like a rambling five minute diatribe about the Marco Fabian red card last week. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to rehash it. I'm going to try to uh, advance the story as we would say in the journalism business. Um, So like a day before two days before the game, they, the press release comes out saying that he's going to have the extra game tacked on for the suspension. I think John and Joe and some other people had been sniffing around at it, right? They might have had it before that. But we didn't get official, like, public confirmation until, like, 48 hours before the game, right? Um, well, it was less than that, right? It was, uh, like, 4 o'clock on, or 3 o'clock on a Friday? Was it, was it Friday? Well, either way, it was less – yeah, I mean, it was less than yeah. less than 48 hours before the yeah, yeah. actual freaking game. Absolutely. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, so I think my problem number one was that I don't know how you tack on an extra game for something that you just you you cannot prove intent in that mm-hmm. situation. Like if Marco Fabian runs at the guy from 15 feet away and pushes him in the back when he's not looking, like obviously we can say he intended to push him in the back. Okay, right. <laughs> like that's. And it's a, I mean that's a that's not even a. Yeah, like a, a, a play, right? That's a, right, that's just violence, you know. Yeah, yeah. But but I don't I I told people that I was on the side of like personally I've never really come down on somebody like that. And ninety nine times out of a hundred, like I would I I think your momentum probably rolls you over that person. So I I could understand how people thought he did it on purpose and maybe he did do it on purpose. I don't know if he did, but I can't ta- right. I can't tack on an extra game for that if it's something that I can't prove you know I mean we have people who have been suspended like three games for for doing stuff that's clearly violent and this is kind of disputable and he's got one fewer game it's not really much of a difference you know I I didn't see the 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 understanding of doing two games and furthermore like quite frankly if if I'm being total totally honest here like Michael Bradley would have never gotten two games for doing that (laughs) yeah I mean you look at yeah, you know, some of the stuff he got away with in that game in week one, right? I mean, yeah, know, yeah, exactly. He wasn't booked that he wasn't booked for. Forget, forget getting off. He wasn't even he wasn't booked at all. Well, there was like a shoulder. Yeah, he got him with the she got Fabian with the shoulder from like behind when the ref wasn't looking, and that was yeah. like another off ball thing. You could you could argue that there was while there wasn't as much like damage done with that as like landing with your spikes on a guy's chest. You could say that that was more 
you could you, there's more intent I think in what Bradley did than anything that was that's provable with Fabian. Yeah, and also it's the the the, the replay of it, right? I mean, so so yeah, you're going to miss that in that game as a ref, right? Like yeah. it's not the first time a ref has missed a play like that, and that's where it seems like the discipline committee. That's where you have. That's where you come in and say we missed this in the game. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna issue a fine and a suspension or whatever because it was missed in the game. And I think whereas Fabian, it it wasn't missed. Like they got it, they sent him off with a straight red, and he was already on a yellow. They find him. So I guess the like you said, the additional game is you're saying okay, he he did it. He did something dangerous, but then he did it intentionally or he did it it was some sort of malice and for a guy who who would remember if he hadn't jumped would have would have probably like seriously injured him (laughs) yeah well that's uh, the other thing that nobody figures out that's why i went on that like twitter rant too because like johnny russell comes in low initially and then and then his foot turns like as he's approaching the ball so like mm -hmm. if he's kicking straight into that He's either getting spikes in the ankle or they're hitting the ball at the same time, which which you know can mess up your ankle pretty bad on those like those one two contacts where you hit the ball at the same time. So like I'm just I, I think the thing that keeps bugging me is like I just don't whether or not he did it on purpose, I just don't think you can anybody can un- unless you like hooked him up to like a brain wave meter or you traveled inside his mind or like you performed a lobotomy or something like that. It's impossible to, to, to know whether like only Marco Fabian knows whether he did that on purpose or not. Right. Right. So if it's a play where he, he jumps out of the way of a tackle lands on his feet and then takes a spike and puts it in his rim, uh, rib, we're not having this conversation. It's <laughs> yeah, obvious. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, but the but I think that's the that's the that's the hang up is that he was I mean he was in the air and he had to come down somewhere yeah and yes I mean you could look at it two two ways you could say well he 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 could have tucked his foot in differently he could you know he could have made it look he could have made it look less violent by just. And still, and still hurt the guy, right? Well, he could have, yeah. If you wanted to be a total asshole, he could have spiked him and then fallen over. You right. know what I mean? Like he could, he could. <laughs> I'm not like don't get don't get any ideas if you're listening to this. But like anybody who's like been in enough of those knows that it's you can you can sell that stuff. You know what I mean? Like so, and I, I wouldn't like obviously I wouldn't encourage that. But I think I take that into account when I'm watching it. Like I don't I don't know if he if he did intend to do it on purpose, like, I don't know if he sold it as well as he could have, you know, mm-hmm. but I yeah. don't know. I, it's all beside the point to me. I just, I think the thing that bugs me and I, um, I was talking to somebody at MLS headquarters about this and they reminded me and I forgot about this, that a bunch of the people on the MLS disciplinary committee are like old U S national team members. So oh, I, yeah. I don't, I don't like, I, I hate, I like, I hate doing this cause I'm not that dude. And I don't want to like accuse anybody of bias or whatever the hell, but like I said, it, it's and it might not be like some racial whatever the hell thing, but just the fact that the guy played for a rival national team. You know what I mean? Like yep, he's an yep. L, L tree member, and that's why I use the Bradley thing. You look at what Bradley was able to get away with in week one, and I don't think an L tree guy would have been able to get away with it. So mm-hmm. anyway, uh, that's my. Yeah, I don't. I don't disagree. <laughs> Thanks for listening to my rambling on that. I got one more for you. A different topic. Um, and then I'll let you go, but, and I don't even know if you have a take on this or not. I just felt like it would be better to bring it up at this point of the podcast than later on. Um, but the Philadelphia fusion, uh, the video game team, the overwatch league league team is getting a, uh, stadium in South Philadelphia. So I, (laughs) so I think like just my knee jerk reaction was like, Oh, of course, like the, the soccer team is still stuck down in Chester and Comcast uh, is building a stadium to, for their video game team, you know? And some people took that the wrong way and they're like, why do you hate video games? Why do you hate gamers? I'm like, I'm not, I'm not saying that. I'm just, to me, it was another like defeat uh, in a macro sense of like all the people who have worked really, really hard in this city to kind of like cover the union and grow the game and all the fans who have season tickets and have, who go down to Chester and support the team to see that like we're still stuck down there when the fusion of, of all the teams is going to have like a South Philly stadium, you know? Yeah. I, I don't know. If stadium is a, is a, I, I don't know if that's the best way to describe it. It's um, more of like a multi-purpose 
like arena where that they're going to use. But my understanding, I guess, was that they're going to have other stuff there too. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like sort of a, a venue. I think it seems like more of a venue than it is a, a stadium. But I mean, that's just semantics, right? But yeah. I mean, I think it's I think it's interesting. I I uh, I'm not a I'm not a video game person. <laughs> um, in the sense that I don't play. I haven't played. Um, we could talk Nintendo games, and I have something to say about it. But <laughs> old school Nintendo, you know, like Super Mario, or not? That's not even Nintendo, but whatever. Super Mario Bros. Yeah, we could talk about that. But uh, so in that sense, I'm not a, I'm not a video game person. But I think it, I think the esports thing is really interesting. I think the you know heck, if they're going to build a 3,500 seat venue for esports, that's awesome. Period. Wherever it is. Um, it's cool that it's in Philly. It's cool that it's you know in, in South Philly and stuff. But uh, you know, it, it, it's just so different than a soccer stadium and yeah. one build. It, it's hard to, it's hard to, I, you know, it's hard to sort of. It's apples and oranges. But I get it. I get it. Yeah, it's apples and oranges. I just think I like I'm yeah. looking at it from this like kind of knee jerk reaction of like, oh god, even the even the video game team is going to be playing in. <laughs> in center city in the soccer team so i don't know because it just like you know i think for years we fought this like well i think me personally like internally like working at the big media companies in uh town just trying to get any like media coverage for the union at all it's it's funny to think because you were always like battling against the phillies and the flyers and the sixers and the the Eagles, it was like this four for four thing. And then all of a sudden it's like, Oh, what? Well, here comes the video game team, you know? And now you're trying to like, you know, <laughs> st- stave them off too. I, I don't know. I just found the thing kind of um, intriguing, but maybe I was being a bit dramatic. I don't know. Well, I mean, I guess, yeah, I mean, it's an interesting question though, right? Is, is, is that, is that audience, you know, what is, I guess the question is what the audience is, because obviously esports is, is growing like gangbusters. And you know it's capturing a worldwide audience, but is that audience? You know how much overlap is in that audience is people who also you know root for you know professional sports leagues. Uh, traditional. Yeah. What do we call them now? Traditional. Sports, I guess. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's weird to talk about, but um, yeah, I mean it's, it, it is interesting because you see a lot of whenever the union posts about their esports athletes, uh, you know, there's a lot of kind of hand-wringing that goes on as, as associated with that and, you know, get your own account for this and et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, I'm one of those people that I, I, I'm, like I said, I'm not a gamer, but I think it's, I think it's really cool that there's, you know, signed esports gamers for MLS teams and NBA teams and other, you know, yeah. sports teams. So, uh, it, it, but it, it does, it does beg that question, like how, like how much does it fit in with the, the, the traditional sports media coverage and just how we look about look at sports, right? And, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I mean, you watch Twitch. I mean, I don't know if you've done that much, but there's, there's, some of the commentating is really it's really interesting, and <laughs> I've, it, it's you know because it, it's a whole like it's not just you know because people say oh you're gonna pay to watch video games. It's not just watching video games. It's the the, the commentary is really interesting. Yeah, it's it's well you know, done. When, it's well produced. Okay. Yeah. What's that? No, I said it's, it's like well done. It's well produced. I mean, I was watching the damn yeah. Overwatch. I was like, I was like, three beers in watching the Philadelphia Fusion in the Overwatch final on like ESPN or something over the summer. Yeah, <laughs> so. yeah. I've, I've watched uh, was that Rocket League or whatever. I mean, it's like <laughs> the comp, it's, like, it's just I don't know. I just am so fascinated by it, and I yeah. don't play. And I'm not. I, I you know. I mean, my kids get to a certain age. I guess. We'll have to have that that discussion about whether it has the systems in the house or whatever. But <laughs> it is really, really interesting, and I, I think it, people who just sort of dismiss it out of hand, um, you know, we kind of, <laughs> you know, I'm I'm 40, you know, I'm I'm a dad, I'm already kind of irrelevant as, in terms of like, you know, being a person to market things to, but. You know, I, I, I don't want to be the person to be like, oh, what are they doing with these video games? <laughs> no, I don't want to do that either because those same yeah. those same same people were saying to you and me 10 years ago that soccer sucks yeah, and it's exactly. never going to make it. So I can't turn around. Like, like no, no soccer fan in their right mind, knowing how much shit we've taken over the years, should ever turn around and say to a Overwatch fan, well, you guys are a bunch of fucking nerds, you know? <laughs> 
like, cause that's just hypocritical for us to do that considering where we came from, you know? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Just even, I mean, I didn't play high school soccer, but just people, when I was in high school in in South Jersey in the nineties, you know, the, 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 the grief that they got just for playing soccer, much less liking it and actually going to a game. I'm like, man, people knew that I like, like soccer, you know, just like kind of had to keep that on the, you know, undercover a little bit. I know. I, th- I just thought it was funny. Like I tangled with a couple of video gamers today. And I'm like, what the hell is this? Like a soccer fan fighting a video game fan. This is like, this could only, only happen. Only on Twitter. I know only on, only on Twitter and only in 2019. Well, Matt, if I do, if I launch a uh, Philadelphia fusion podcast, you'll be the first guest on. All right. All right, man. That'd Matt. Ra- yeah. Matt Ralph uh, from the brotherly game, Matt Ralph underscore TBG. Uh, Matt, thanks for jumping on, man. Uh, I appreciate it. And we will do it again. All right, man? All right, let's get to your uh, questions, comments, and concerns. And then we'll wrap it up with a shout-out at the end. Uh, Richard Saunders wants to know, to fit everyone on the pitch, do they play a 3-5-2? well, you, you would have to take, well, say your three center backs would be Austin Trustee, Mark McKenzie, Jack Elliott, and then your wing backs are who? Like, you know what you're saying to like, you know, if you're going to play a Calm and Burke up top, for instance, and like would you play Pico as a left wing back or something like that? Problem with like this idea of like trying to fit every single attacking piece onto the field is that it messes up like – you know, you can't just shove guys on the wings. You're still not really playing with like wingers in that formation. Like the left wing backs have, a, and the right wing back has a lot of defensive responsibility. That's why it's hard to just kind of shift to that. You know, just to in, as, just to get the personnel that you want on the field. You know, um, no, I mean the situation with with Akam and Burke and Santos and Pico all on the field at the same time is that you you don't you just there's, there's just not enough spots for all those dude no matter no matter what formation you play no matter what formation you play even if, even if you played like four you couldn't what do you play four two four even if you played a regular four four two you know the wingers in a four four two have a lot of defensive responsibility so it just doesn't fit there's you can move the move the puzzle pieces around all you want you're just not going to make it work how you want it somebody's going to have to sit on the bench you know um when cups uh, come later in the season, how far in the shitter will we be roster-wise? Will we see more domestic roster fillers? Any steel call-ups? Is there any situation uh, they call me or Zach Pfeffer onto the team? <laughs> Is there any situation where they call me or Zach Pfeffer onto the team like that weird NHL goalie rule they have? Um, God, yeah, the summer's going to be interesting, you know. McKenzie, some of the youth guys... Gold Cup, right? God, I don't know. It gives me like agita just thinking of that at this point, you know. So um, we'll t- we'll tackle that for for another podcast as it gets closer to that. Um, David Shea says, "Is anyone else on the sell Andre Blake kick again?" Uh, Coronel showed serviceable through limited chances. I've never really gotten off the sell Blake boat, so maybe I'm biased. No, I was on the sell Blake boat for a while when I felt like his value was high. 2015 2016 whatever that was uh but i think that ship has kind of sailed like now i think that andre is just like another goalkeeper i don't i don't think people look at him as like the european goalkeeper of the future i felt like that window to sell him would probably came and went and the reason i was always for selling him like i explained it wasn't that i was anti andre blake i just felt like if you could have made money off of that to solve problems elsewhere I would have done that because it's easier for us to produce domestic quality goalkeeping versus finding a number 10 or a striker or something like that you know what I mean um pretzel life says will Mbizo get a chance without Gaddis royally screwing up uh no no probably not I mean they brought him into play played on some on the wing I guess when he came in, in the second half right kind of zoning out at that point honestly after <laughs> if the union went up three nothing the Sixers were playing at the same time I don't, I don't know what the hell it's been about the early season schedule but the Sixers and the union have played at the same time three of the first four union games I think like I've, of course I'm like the only person in Philadelphia whose like main 
priorities sports wise are the union and the Sixers now. Um, but it's just been like so annoying to I sat sat there like Saturday night and had like the pad hooked. I had the laptop hooked up and I had the TV in the background. It was just like. I would have loved it. I had all day to space those things out, but of course, at the same time, you know. Um, Rick says, did Akam do anything, uh, or did he do enough on Saturday night to push one of either Burke or Fafa out of the starting 11, or was Saturday night an anomaly? Well, I mean, if you look at Jim's past, you know, I, I think of um, when Jay Simpson started the season opener in 2017, and then he got injured scoring the goal in the Toronto game, and then CJ came in and scored a bunch of goals right off the bat and never really gave up that starting spot. So I think it's not it's not necessarily about like whether somebody's had a chance to lose the position or not. I just think if a guy's hot, you gotta you gotta go with him, you know? Like I'm always a proponent in the NBA if like Joel Embiid hit three shots in a row, give him the rock. You know, what I mean I think that's the case with strikers too, especially a guy like David Akam, who you got nothing out of last year, one goal last year. Think about how damn fragile that must be, you know, to, to like finally get something out of him and think and see that that glimmer and see what he used to be, you know, that flash of brilliance that we've seen in the past. Like you got to bottle that, you know, you got to hold on to that, and you got to give me as much of that as possible. So I, it would be totally folly to me to to put David Akon back on the bench after he finally broke out with the, the performance that you've been waiting to get for him for more than a year now. Uh, Nico. Or Nico, it looks like Nico. Uh, what do you think most attributed to Fafa playing better? No Burke, uh, more freedom to move due to a calm pushing forward. Well, yeah, I mean they're playing four two three one, so a lot of the runs uh, that he normally would have made, where he would have kind of been like doubling over, or, like bumping into Corey Burke, I, he was just him up top there because the calm was playing on the left. Um, I didn't recognize it at first, like JP said something on the broadcast I think at the beginning he said it's going to look more like a 4-2-3-1 at times uh, but then they started playing and I'm like sitting there looking at a calm hanging out to the left I was looking at Bedoya's positioning I'm like is but I'm like why is Bedoya on the total opposite side of the field and then I'm sitting there going oh they're playing a 4-2-3-1 you know um so that's the other thing too I mean if a, if a calm if they go back to the 4-4-2 diamond I mean and you play a calm as a striker to keep him hot, is he going to be as effective there as he was running in from the left side? So that's another thing to think about. You know, does Jim Curtin want to go back and start playing four two three one again? That's why I was joking with Matt. I was saying, you know, they scored what like one goal from the run up run of play, uh, playing with two strikers in three games, and then they scored three goals playing with one striker in the past game. I mean, I know that it's just it's just that's a bullshit sample size, but it's just funny to think of that considering how how much we talked about the four two three one and that they couldn't score enough goals from it. You know, um, Joe House says when Mbizo came on versus Columbus, he played an outside midfielder role, uh, not the wing back. Um, well, that wouldn't be wing back technically; it'd just be right fullback. Uh, but if they decide to groom him as a shuttler, uh, how does that further enchant the oddity of the Ray Gaddis career arc? Yeah, I mean, it just, God, if that was the case, it'd be the strangest thing ever. But I don't think, I don't see him playing like that. I think, I think Mbizo just played there because they had no other bodies. You know, I mean, Fontana, they had Fontana, they had Mbizo, they had two center backs, and they had a goalkeeper <laughs> on the bench. It was like, it's like playing a Casa League game where you like, where you start out with like 10 guys on the field and then, the other guy pulls up at Pennypack Park like five minutes into the game, runs onto the field without stretching, and then you have no subs. Um, it just felt like one of those kinds of games. So, so no, I, I think that was more uh, just sort of a product of, of circumstance and what the personnel dictated, you know. Uh, Brisket Bear uh, says, Can Aronson and Fabian find the field together with Aronson playing the left side of the diamond? Um, yeah, I mean, I would be interested to see that. I don't know really what Aronson's defensive chops are, but, I mean, he's 18 years old and he's got the legs for it, you know. Um, you don't have to be a big dude to to be a shuttler. I mean, if they're going to play Montero as that, look at how small he is. I mean, Alejandro Bedoya is not a big dude either. I'm probably taller and maybe have like 5 or 10 pounds on Ollie. And look at him, him playing as an international quality 50-plus cap of uh, box-to-box number eight utility midfielder for all of his career, you know. So 
I I wouldn't mind seeing Aronson there. But to that point, I don't I don't know why Fontana can't do that either. But again, I'm like well, you know Derek. To me, Derek Jones is still the guy I would want to I would want to see there. I mean, I think I think what they want to do is I think they want Madunian in playing the tip. They want Montero and Bedoya as like smaller like interchangeable part shuttlers on either side, and I think they want Marco Fabian. Uh, playing the tip of the diamond, so if, with with all of everybody healthy, I think that's what they would probably be doing. Uh, Matt Bogard says, "Do you think rolling out four two three one shows tactical flexibility, uh, or was it more of an emergency reaction to having so few available players?" Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I just, I this is what I was talking about, Matt. I, I don't. I think I, I I would be inclined to say that it was just a tactical emergency and personnel kind of thing. But like I said, you could have you could have put those eleven players into the same four four two diamond that they'd been playing. You know what I mean? You could have had a com and you could have Pico up top. You could have Aronson playing the like the tip of the diamond again. You could have Bedoya on the left, Elsino on the right, Madunian in the back line. So I don't I don't I don't necessarily think it dictated that. I don't know if Jim just said like I think I like a com better on the left. I don't I don't know if he felt like a calm and Pico up top was redundant because they're both the kind of like hang on the back shoulder run, you know, gazelle type of players. Um, but the irony of that is that Burke and Pico had been making like similar runs and had kind of been bumping into each other. So I, I don't know. I go through that. Like I go through this big circle in my head. And when I'm trying to think about why they played four, two, three, one the other night, i I feel like I'm the, uh, the the serpent that's like eating its own tail or whatever because it all it all just like takes me in this big circle what the hell is that thing called it's called the uh oh for christ's sake it's called the or the uh the ouroboros is that what it's called ouroboros the snake the serpent that eats its tail that's your uh mythology lesson for today uh, Craig says, was the new brewery the stadium development you were hinting at? Uh, no, it wasn't. It wasn't. That came out of nowhere. What the hell is this place called? There's a brewery popping up like across the street. It starts with an L. L something brewing. Um, listen, we're going to do, we're going to meet these guys. Um, if you, if any of y'all meet them before I do, tell them that there's a guy who does a podcast and he wants to do a live podcast at their brewery. We'll do it before the, before a game or after a game or whatever the hell. And, um, it'll be great. I mean, that'll solve the problem of like, uh, like location, you know, cause I was trying to think of like, what's a central location for everybody. Like, sure. I could do it before a game in the friggin' parking lot, but this is so much cooler, you know? Um, so yeah, tell them, or I'll tell them, or we're all we'll all tell them, and we'll we'll do something. I, I would love to um do a live podcast at the new brewery. I mean, perfect. Talk soccer. We could talk uh, esports. We could drink some beers. Um, if they're cool with dogs, we'll bring Baxter down there. We'll let people like meet him and take pictures with him. We'll do whatever you want. Um, Gonzalez. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, Anthony says, do you think Aronson has cemented himself into the starting lineup? Uh, he plays with such spark and creates so many chances, hoping he doesn't fade out like some previous young hopefuls. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 you're still going with your highest paid player in franchise history and the Mexican international who was screwed out of an extra game, you know. Um, I, like I said, I wouldn't mind seeing Aronson play some shuttler, see if he can do it. Um, but then you've got Fontana behind him too. So, yeah, I mean, it's this log jam of like, I mean, you could you could even play Fabian as the as the second striker. You could do like like Fabian and Pico and Aronson behind them if you really wanted to. So I don't know, man. I'm glad I'm not the coach. That's for sure. Um, Gonzalez says, uh, "How does one fit Fabian, Aronson, Bedoya, Montero, and Medunian in onto the pitch? And should Jones just pack his bags now?" All right, so Fabian. Um, yeah, I mean you can't. You would have to do what I just what I just literally just said, which was the only way you could get those five together would be Fabian as a striker, Aronson as the ten, Bedoya on the left, Montero on the right, and Medunian. And other otherwise you could pull it back and you could you could bench Medunian if you think Montero is your six, and you could go Montero, Bedoya, Derek Derek Jones or Aronson and then Fabian there and get your two strikers back on, but yeah, it's just hard. Um uh, Connor says, how did the fusion get a de- dedicated esports arena in the sports complex and the union are exiled to Chester until their lease is up? Is it a failure of downtown stadium? The biggest miss in franchise history, both on and off the pitch. 
Yeah, I mean, you have to go all the way back to that. I mean, it was 20, 2008, 2009, 2010. The recession had just hit. You know, Governor Rendell said, here's where Pennsylvania will give you the money, the taxpayer money to put the stadium. DRPA money, I think, was involved, too. Um, it was all just like kind of like a perfect storm of shit. You know what I mean? But I, I think my biggest takeaway was not... Like, I mean, at the time, everybody seemed say, kind of said, like, okay, this is okay. We think they're going to be stuff there. I mean, you guys should see the blueprints of what it, what it looked like down there before they cut half the, the funding. Like, there was, like, a boat dock and, like, restaurants and stuff like that they were going to put down there. But the recession just killed all of it. I, I think on a macro level, it's just kind of like the the overarching idea of, like, the soccer team is stuck in Chester in a stadium they can't get out of. And the fucking video game team of all teams is now like has the it's just like ironic to me I, I think you know i think that's why i reacted the way i did i know that there's a lot of like esports fans that probably listen to the podcast i mean kyle kyle branson's been listening to this podcast from the beginning and like i know he was at the fusion um p- party at xfinity live to kick off this season like i don't i don't have anything against esports at all i really don't i just think like i, I try not to do the crotchety old man routine because of the because soccer has always been shit on like Matt and I were talking about. But uh, I think like the only thing, like some of the games I just honestly don't like, like I think Overwatch is dumb. Like I played Overwatch. I'm like, okay, it's just a, like you go in and you start fighting. There's no like story mode or anything like that. And like the f- characters are just like, oh, I don't know. Like Fortnite to me, I think is stupid. Like Fortnite, I played for like an hour. I parachuted into the world. I ran around for 10 minutes looking for somebody, like anybody to shoot or be shot. And then I got sniped from like 100 yards away. And I'm like, all right, this is dumb as hell. Um, so like the only only two things that I will I will be like crotchety, like Clint Eastwood and Gran Torino, like the only things that I will say that my generation did better that millennials are shit at is uh, number one, music. I think our music is 10 times better than your music. Your rap, your hip hop sucks. Um, you're, there's no rock music these days, unless you're like want to give me like Greta Van Fleet or something like that. But um, and video games like like Goldeneye 007 and Mario Kart 64 and Diablo 2 and the original StarCraft and like the the wave of like Chrono Trigger and Final Fantasy 3 and whatever the hell. I mean, those were all like amazing games. And um, you know, nothing against like Fortnite, but Fortnite fucking blows. So. <laughs> that's just me being honest man I, I you might not agree with me but i will i will be honest with you i will tell you how i feel um <clears throat> let me see uh oh, this is a conversation between two people here uh pa bias says regarding regarding your post about not being sure if comcast ever attempted to buy the team uh, would the other people you referenced have been game changers in terms of spending the other uh, oh whoa, whoa, whoa. yeah i made a comment that other people have a, have approached jay over the years and asked him to sell or or you know about being taking over as like a majority owner or or you know situations where he would still be involved but he wouldn't be the main guy uh so to answer the question would those other people have been game changers in terms of spending um Yes, I, I think they have more money. I don't think it's like exorbitant amount of amounts of money. If Sugarman sold to some of the people I'm thinking of, they wouldn't. It wouldn't have been like going from Jay Sugarman to Arthur Blank overnight. Um, but you, these people would have cared much more about the team. If you get my drift, because of a certain geographical influence, they would have cared more about the team, and they would have seen it as less of an investment. But I'm not. I'm not going to shit on Jay. Sh- Look. Jay Sugarman made a smart investment. Like, he put the minimum amount of money that he had to before the the expansion fees started blowing up. He sits on the expansion committee so he can direct help direct where the new teams are growing, which adds to the value of those new franchises, which adds to the value of his franchise. He's basically just got to do the bare minimum to see his asset continue to grow exponentially. You know, it's like... I, I would liken it to the 401k match. If if you're an if you have an employer who matches your 401k contributions, all you really got to do is put in your four percent, and you get the four percent from them, and then you watch it grow. Like you really don't have to do shit. You could put in six percent, but if your employer is only going to match four percent, why are you putting in an extra two percent unless you're just like being an aggressive investor? You know, Jay Sugarman's not an ingre- aggressive investor. He's a buy low, sell high kind of dude. 
So it's very shrewd on his part. It just they haven't fucking won any playoff games. So yeah. I'm able to separate the business side of it from the soccer side. The soccer side has sucked. The business side for his portfolio has been very good. Um, Ezra uh, says, uh, not a question about on-field. Have you heard anything about how the club um, player, staff, or other have been able to help uh, David and his family in what has been an understandably a difficult time? Um, I haven't heard anything specific, but I'm sure that they all have been doing whatever possible for him. I, you know, you know I, th- I think you probably heard the quote where he said the union told him to go ahead and go home. To, to Ghana to be with his um, I'm just assuming his family there to, to go home after his dad died and he said he didn't want to because he wanted to be here because like the most joy he gets is from actually playing the game um, but some other people were asking about you you can send stuff down there if you want to wanted to get to him like if you wanted to send him like a card or like a note or a message or something you can send just send it to the um, union front office address, like one seaport drive or whatever the hell it was, and they'll take that stuff and they'll put it. Uh, they'll take it like walk it across the street to the um, training center and they'll they'll give give it to him and they'll get it to his locker. So he will get that stuff if you want to send it to him. Um, I think somebody else had asked me asked me about that um, on on Twitter. So uh, Justin says, "Do you foresee the play of a calm and Aronson making the starting eleven difficult to guess for the Cincy game?" Yeah, we've been over that a couple times. Um, Mike says, "Aside from the brewery, Mike, who I think is going to get like fuck, he's going to go on and ask like four questions here." But I appreciate that he's a loyal listener. Uh, aside from the brewery, uh, what other businesses do you think would work well around the stadium? Uh, presumably, that would be need to be something that would be able to sustain itself without a lot of foot traffic on on non game days. Or name game days. Yeah, I mean that's a problem. Like you can't you can't really do stuff that's just specific for because you only have what seventeen home games. You got one or two U.S. Open Cup games, and you have like the occasional like friendly down there. So it's be stupid to market, be stupid to build things that are going to be attractions for the game day crowd. Like honestly, what they need on that stretch is like a, a Wawa would kill it. I know it sounds like a cop out because you put a damn Wawa anywhere, and like that would work anywhere. But there's so much like traffic along the industrial highway of people who are going down further down to like a, uh, oh my god, what the hell is the name of the towns down there? Like 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 Marcus Hook and Trainer and stuff like that, which is really industrial. But you have like, you know, truck drivers and construction dudes and like uh, all kinds of people going down 291 where there's really no, I mean you got like that shitty Sunoco across the street and there's really nowhere else to stop on that main drag there. But even if you put like a Wawa or like a 7-Eleven or like a friggin' like fast food joint or something there, you would also service the people who work out of the wharf building too, you know. Um, so that would be kind of like my cop-out answer for that. Um, I think like like a, like Wawa would work a lot better, for example, than like um, like a, a restaurant or something, like like Uno Chicago friggin' Grill or something, you know what I mean? Because I don't, I don't know if there's enough people coming through for that, but for the convenience side of it, yeah, I think so. Um, also, I noticed something is being built near Lot A right before you turn down the road. Do you know if it's the marijuana growing plant or something else? Marijuana growing plant slated for Chester. Oh, I don't know, but if it is, let's harvest some of that and we'll smoke it. Um, Chap says, while the 4231 curtain rolled out this weekend, I'm, I'm not really, I don't smoke pot. I smoke pot maybe like twice a year. So, But Half-Baked is like one of my favorite movies, so go figure, you know. Uh, while the 4231 curtain rolled out this weekend may have been uh, necessitated from a personnel standpoint, do you think the success the union had pressing and attacking in this formation brings it back again next week instead of the 442? Yeah, God, I don't know, man. What a cluster. It's it's like it's we, we spent like four years wanting to get away from that. You know, now they go out and play it and they just do really, really well with it. But because of the bodies being the way they are, it's it's really impossible for me to say whether they it's that's that's why they won or if Columbus just sucked without Zach Steffen and Jossie Zardes and whether David Kahn was just on one. I I just I don't know. I'm but I'm really intrigued to see what Jim does. Um, he's not a guy who like I you know personnel wise he's always been like he'll stick with who's playing well. I think so. Uh, We'll see. We'll see how that if he tests that if if he goes against that at this time around. Uh, Paul Blessing, last one from Paul Blessing. He says, "When will Tommy Smith retire?" Uh, it's sad. Yeah, I mean, look, I don't. You know, 
I think everybody knows my feelings on Tommy. I'm not a huge fan because I just like don't. I, I want commentary on the game and what's happening and tactics and stuff like that from the co- from the color commentator. I don't. I don't need them to be play by play. B. You know, if if JP is play by play guy, I want the other guy to be color. Like I don't want two guys kind of telling me what's going on. I want like Chris Collingsworth to say like, now here's a guy who runs a great fly go fly route and he's uh, catching 57% of his balls that are thrown within four yards of him. You know what I mean? He is Alshon Jeffrey. No, but I just like Tommy. I I think the thing that bothers me with Tommy more than anything, and I think if you're going to criticize him over anything, and I I have been very critical of him in the past, but I don't, I, I get the sense that he's a guy that does not prepare. Like, I don't think he watches the other team. I don't think he watches film. I don't think he watches the team. I don't think he knows personnel um, wrinkles and stuff like that. And, like, you could say, well, he's been doing it for a while. You know, he's a little older. You know, he's been around the block. But to me that doesn't – like, a a key basic part of being a color commentator is watching film and knowing what you're talking about. And, like, he doesn't say anything that that sounds to me like he's doing any kind of preparation. Like, I wouldn't wouldn't do anything. I wouldn't write anything. None of my work – I wouldn't put my name on anything or my voice on anything if I wasn't prepared for it. You know, I know there's sometimes I come on this podcast where I'm like, well, shit, I'm not on the union beat anymore, and I don't really, you know, remember that or whatever specifically. But, like, I would always, like, that's just sort of a product of what it is now. But even before I do this, even before I do this podcast now, even though I'm not on the beat anymore, I'll sit here for, like, 45 minutes, you know, watching, you know, highlights and reading up stuff and reading other guys' articles, John's articles and Matt's stuff and whoever else, and trying to learn as much as I can about it. And I just don't – I don't – biggest problem I have with Tommy is that I just don't feel like he does the work so anyway all right well let's end on a positive note uh, I want to give a shout out and we're going to play a request for uh Philadelphia I don't know what the what the fuck was he it was uh I'm, I'm going to shout out Jeff Mitchell a uh, longtime Sons of Ben member and a uh, longtime loyal listener of the podcast um he got honored for something on the field, fan of the year. Did they vote him fan of the year, or was he nominated for fan of the year or something like that? Well, either way, whatever it was, listen to me talking about, making, talking about preparation, and I don't even know what the hell I'm honoring Jeff for. So here's, here's to me for being a hypocrite. Um, but Jeff Mitchell wanted, wanted, to hear, um, he wanted to hear a classic Overkill song. It's called In Union We Stand. Uh, it came out in like the 80s or something. I was like, yeah, fuck, Philadelphia Union, Overkill, man, I can get – I can get down with that for sure. I saw them perform this song live in Pittsburgh in like 2005. So uh, this is a shout out for Jeff Mitchell, who I don't know if he's fan of the year, but he's fan of the year in my mind. Here you go. Overkill in union. We stand. It's always soccer Philadelphia. (laughs) 